Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey Pediocast. With your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dimitri Filipovich, and joining me for uh, an illustrious fourth time on the Hockey PDO cast, it's my good friend Arthur Staple. Arthur, what's going on, man? I'm good, Dimitri. How are you? I'm great. I'm excited. Uh, I'm actually having you on for once, I feel like, under, you know, pretty positive, optimistic circumstances. The, you know, one time I had you on and we were talking about uh, John Francois Brube, who, by the way, is back in the league today after uh, Sergei Bobrovsky's little dust up with the Blue Jackets. And, um, you know, I had you on when the whole Tavares mess was going on after he left this summer. And it feels like whenever we've been talking, and this is probably kind of reflective of uh, what it's been like covering this Islanders team and being a fan of the Islanders, but it's always been some sort of turmoil or some sort of a circus. And it feels like, this year it's been you know um i don't know what the right word is but but definitely encouraging or at least you know there's reason to be cautiously optimistic or or things to point to as reasons to be excited moving forward so i'm excited to uh to finally have you on under these types of circumstances not the ones that we've had before <laughs> encouraging i think is the is is the key word that's a that's a good one to describe what's going on so uh, i'm encouraged to be here and talk about that situation as well yeah i think yeah i keep pointing to a uh, cautiously optimistic because obviously there's you know there's certain things you could point to and go like okay you know this is a bit alarming or this is a bit of a red flag but at the same time i feel like the good does outweigh the bad and i guess i don't know what's what's the most logical place to start with uh with covering this islanders team this year it's probably got to be the the effect barry trotz and his coaching staff along with mitch corn that, that, that they've had on this team right for sure for sure that was uh you know i think when people look back at this summer obviously they're going to look at july 1 and, and Tavares's decision but i think I guess it was about 10 days earlier, really will end up being the, probably the most momentous decision for the Islanders, at least going forward, because that's when they got Barry Trotz. And it certainly didn't seem like he was going to be available when they, uh, when they went out. When, <clears throat> when that week began, he was, uh, he was still coming off the high of, of being winning a Stanley Cup with the Capitals. And then, lo and behold, uh, 
he was here. And so Lou Lamarillo managed to work his magic. He didn't manage to work it uh, quite as well with Tavares, but yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely been from day one, a very different situation for uh, a team that really didn't outside of Tavares didn't have a ton of turnover coming off of the last few dismal years. And I think that, that may be the biggest compliment you can pay to Trotz and Lane Lambert and Mitch Korn is that the Islanders are doing this with essentially the same roster that they had last year, minus obviously a big star player in Tavares and minus maybe Calvin DeHaan. But, uh, but what they've done is, is pretty remarkable. I think it, you'd be hard-pressed to find a, a similar situation in the last couple of decades in the NHL. Yeah, no, I agree. I should let the listeners know that that sound you hear in the background is uh, Arthur's uh, reporting the uh, Islanders game from MSG against the Rangers, and uh, I guess they're testing the sounds for the game back there? They are, they are. I managed to find a little quieter spot underneath the stand, but uh, never never a dull moment here at the Garden. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. Listen, everything you said there about Barry Trotz is completely bang on, and I think that even the most optimistic of people um, about this team's outlook during the summer would have you know, had to concede the fact that at the very least, this was kind of like going to be a net, net, net neutral. And if anything, it was obviously going to be a bit of a, a net negative in terms of what they were losing versus what they were bringing in to replace the guys that were headed out the door. And that's why, you know, you, when you point to when you talk about the Jack Adams and obviously we're still a bit of a ways away from award season, but we're getting to the point now, a midway point where people are at least starting to kind of discuss a little bit. And, you know, John Cooper, obviously, just because of the Lightning's dominant season. And, and there's certainly other guys like Claude Julian who um, have put their fingerprints on the team and, and have a discernible effect on what's going on with their roster. But we can look at this Islanders team last year and sort of the defensive abomination they were and how porous they were and all of the, all the pitfalls they had. And then you can point to what's going on right now with this year under Barry Trotz. And it's not like they added all these defensive stalwarts that would explain the big turnaround. It really is a coaching impact. And I think sometimes in, in, in the NHL, it's a little difficult to quantify that or really figure out how much of an impact a coach is having on its roster. Cause there's all, obviously only so much you can do with the personnel you have. But in this case, um, you know, Barry Trotz's fingerprints are all over this just in terms of how they're playing and sort of all of the underlying profiles and, it really has been amazing to see this turnaround, which has happened pretty quickly. Yeah, you know, I think uh, I think it, when when Barry talks, uh, he's talked since we're kind of at the midway point here of the season. He's talked recently about what what he saw coming in, and, and he felt like this team was capable of this when he saw the pieces that were laid out. Uh, you know, even after July, the rest of July one, Tavares leaves and. And Lou goes out and gets guys that, that really left a lot of people scratching their heads. Uh, you know, Leo Komarov getting four years, Val Filippo getting a, a no-move clause on a one-year deal, um, Ross Johnston getting four years. I think that was the last time we spoke was right around the time Ross Johnston got That's four right. years. And I yeah. think that was, that was uh, those were moves that, that didn't seem like they made a lot of sense. They made sense to, to Lamarillo because he's, he's trying to, you know, sweep some things out and bring some new things in and, um, not necessarily looking at X's and O's, but Barry Trotz is, is making it work because, you know, right from the first minutes of training camp, he came in and, and he, you know, has been doing this a long time. And it's, it's a very unique situation as far as the Islanders are concerned. A lot of guys here have, have not had this sort of, this level of coaching expertise of, of coaching discipline really in a long time. And that's not a knock against Jack Capuano, who's, who's a, a much better coach than people give him credit for, but, but his, his message discipline has not always been great or when it, during his time here. And then you look at Doug Waite and, and the mess that was last year, and you kind of just throw that entirely out the window. So, um, yeah, it's just been from day one, 
their ability to, to stay with what they've been taught. And, uh, you know, there were a few hiccups, I think, at the beginning, the first three weeks or so of the season, they were a little bit back and forth. But I think ever since they won five in a row and really kind of those back-to-back wins they had at the end of October over the Penguins, um, I think that was the moment that the light went on for a lot of the guys in the room and I think even for the coaches that this could be a season that uh, that they surprise some people. And, and uh, you know, really the, uh, Josh Hosang, who I'm sure we'll get to in a minute, told me the other day that game in Toronto that they had after Christmas where they shut out the Leafs and kind of a big moment for them uh, was really the moment that he discovered how frustrating they can be to play against, that they that they took a, a very talented team and completely bottled them up and frustrated them. Um, and I think that's been the mantra, that it's not only the us against the world, which has been an Islanders rallying point for decades now, considering all the, all the other stuff that's been going on with this organization, but I think even Barry's message has been do what I tell you to do and what we can, what we can teach you to do. And you're going to be successful. And it's been, it's been working so far. Yeah, no, I mean, the turnaround has been staggering pretty much any way you slice. I mean, last year they were what 31st in the league in a attempt against 30th and shots against 31st and goals against 29th and save percentage, but like pretty much any way you looked at it, they were bottom two or three in, in every defensive category. And this year they're up to eighth, seventh, first and fifth in those four. And, you know, it's, it's tough to, um, to kind of separate this stuff because they kind of go hand in hand and, you know, it's chicken or the egg but obviously the goaltending itself and the job Mitch Korn has done in in uh you know teaching these guys up and and the bounce back seasons that both Thomas Grice and Robin Leonard have tie into this but also if you look at just what's going on in front of them that Barry Trotz effect is very clear because they've at the very least gone from being historically bad defensively to competent if not middle of the pack and maybe even a little bit above average in, in some metrics so that's obviously had a pronounced effect but I don't know like at the same time, when you look at this and take a bigger picture view of it, how much credit should we be giving to the Barry Trotz defensive system and how much of it is just two goalies, especially Robin Leonard lately, just standing on their heads and playing out of their minds and carrying this team a little bit, even when things aren't going great in front of them? Yeah, I mean, that's that's been a, a big factor for sure. You know, Grice more early and, and Leonard more lately. Um, you know, it's hard to imagine any scenario with these two goalies with their track records and leaving aside all of the off-ice stuff that, that Robin Leonard has been trying to handle with, in conjunction with having a pro career over the last year um, to, to think that they'd be playing to 935, 925, even strength save percentages is, was was even more unfathomable than this team going from worst to first in goals against. Um you know, I think Leonard, uh, maybe, and he's been talking about it a lot, that he's, you know, he felt like even last year before he, before he really started it, what he called his crash, uh, right around the new year last year, he was about a nine seventeen nine eighteen goalie. Um, and that's, you know, that's pretty good for the, for the current NHL for these last couple of years. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, obviously the Sabres were not a good team last year and, and that has an effect, um, but now he's playing in front of, uh, you know, behind rather, uh, like you said, a competent team um, and a team that's being very opportunistic at the other end as well with their shooting percentage uh, and the, the chances that they generate. So, you know, I think he's he's been certainly better than expected and maybe not in a sustainable way for a whole season. But it's not uh, it's not completely out of the realm of possibility that, that Leonard could have had this kind of year. Um, Bryce, I think, is starting to regress a little bit. Uh, playing a little bit less, and it seems right now that it's a clear uh, Leonard is the preferred guy. And um, you know, I think however far long, however far they can go with that, uh, with the schedule they've got coming up before the All Star break, which doesn't include a lot of playoff teams, 
Um, you know, I think the, the key thing, too, is that they've even if they regress uh, to what their career averages have been, they maybe have banked enough points to, uh, to to outlast some of those teams at the tail end of the Eastern Conference playoff race. You know, they've got a few games in hand on Montreal and Buffalo. Um, they don't really play either of those teams until we get, uh, you know, back after the All-Star break. So, you know, I, I think... I think even if it's not sustainable, it may have already been enough that Leonard and Grace have done to, to put this team in the conversation. Yeah, no, I mean, they've been remarkable. They're, I think, combined fifth in save percentage at all strengths, third at five on five. Last I checked, they were both uh, top 10 in goal saved, uh, according to Corsica. And, you know, I wrote about this today at ESPN, but they've been right up there with, I think, you know, the Bruins guys and, and the Dallas Stars goalies as the best tandem in the league. And I guess it really speaks to maybe last year was an even bigger mess defensively than we probably thought at the time. Just if you look at how Grice has performed this year and how Yaroslav Halak has performed in a different setting in Boston and the effect that last year's defensive effort in front of them had on those two guys and their numbers is is pretty staggering when you look at compared to what they've done this year. Sure. And, I, you know, I think the way that Yaroslav finished last year, there was there was a question whether he'd get another NHL contract, um, just not only because of the uh, the way that the team played in front of him, and the way that kind of broke him down, but with the you know the previous year, uh, uh, you know, getting demoted for a few months, and and just all that other baggage that he seemed to bring with him. But uh, but it was good that that at least one team uh, saw through that and saw that there was still a talented guy in there, and and uh, he certainly is dedicated himself. And and I thought he was actually pretty good last year, all things considered. You know, when you're when you're facing forty shots a game, and and you know over 15 high danger chances every game right. uh, nobody's going to look good so um he too is benefiting from being in an organization with a team that's uh that's showing a lot more competence defensively so yeah i think i think last year um will is already even halfway through this year shown to be uh, like you said a, a possibly a bigger mess even than it looked on the ice and and in hearing whispers from guys that were part of it nobody's really saying a whole lot but i think the the implication certainly is that uh that there was a lot going on behind the scenes uh not just with the Tavares situation but with the coaching staff that wasn't always on the same page um general manager who was on the hot seat uh and you know a, a young budding star rookie player who who loved to score goals and create chances but uh, they weren't really creating a foundation to uh, for him to to be a 200 foot player as they like to say and i think that's uh, that's another aspect that that Barry has brought to the to the table as far as Matthew Barzal is concerned. Yeah, well, we'll get to Barzal more in a second here, but I did want to just, you know, one final thing on the team as a whole. You know, we're getting to the point of the season now where everyone's played around 40, 45 games and we're starting to really take stock of the playoff picture and try to figure out and suss out what's real and what's not. And I think this is a testament to how far the Islanders come and sort of the success they've had this year that they're capturing people's attention nationally beyond just their own fan base. And it seems like they're going to be this year's, um, at least for now, the battleground of, you know, the great PDO wars of 2019 and people are going to be wondering how good they really are whether their place in the standings is a bit of a mirage and, and something I keep coming back to and pointing out I mean first of all and we'll get into this a bit later as well there's been a pretty dramatic and pronounced uptick in, in underlying performance as the year has gone along but I think people just need to kind of keep um, you know 
amount of context and sort of relative factors here, right? Like I think even the most optimistic people in the summer would have had them as, you know, maybe possibly a bottom five team. And so far they've performed as the 11th best team in point percentage. And I feel like there's a middle ground there where even if they're not necessarily as good as they've looked so far in the standings, if they fall back a little bit and the goaltending isn't as great as it's been so far, there's still enough wiggle room here to view this season as, um, you know, an overwhelming success and actually keep them in the playoff hunt, even if they do fall off a bit. For sure, for sure. I think uh, you know. I, I think we just look at them. They're they're playing at a hundred point pace right now, and uh, you know, if they catch up in games played and don't move up in the standings, they're still looking at you know ninety seven, ninety eight points and not making the playoffs. I think that's not ter- terribly sustainable for some of the teams that are that are ahead of them. Like I said, the Canadians and the Sabers, and and now I certainly think you have to throw the Blue Jackets into the mix, considering what went down there today. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I, uh, yeah, it's it's. Um, I think the numbers are certainly skewed by how wildly uh, unrepresentative, I guess you could say, that were for the first you know fifteen games or so, where they were just you know giving up tons more uh, attempts and chances, and, and still capitalizing at a, at a you know eleven eleven and a half percent clip in terms of their own scoring chances. But I think what you see now uh, over the last couple months. And I'm sure we'll we'll get into it, but but you see them swinging the, the the pendulum a bit in terms of chances, not necessarily in terms of overall attempts, but but that really speaks to Barry Trotz's philosophy, and and you know he he implemented it in Washington, and they were not a, a high coursey uh, percentage team, and they still were you know obviously had some elite more elite scorers than the Islanders do, but I think he's he may be you know turning the the kind of the coursey philosophy on its head a bit if it's already it's not already been turned on its head about um nhl players even if you don't have an alex ovechkin and a nick backstrom in your lineup that you can still wait for good chances to try to convert as opposed to just you know being volume shooters and uh and the fact that he's now been able to do it with a team that's being led by uh you know a couple of 15 goal scorers at the break is uh, is is even more remarkable i think that the, that how they how they're winning games is such a a throwback to to a different era you know an era that i think the nhl would have loved to have said bye to already um you know a team that wins 3-1 or 3-2 or 4-1 if they're if they're feeling prolific on a certain night is really uh is really interesting and and uh, maybe not as entertaining as some other teams and maybe that there's another factor in why the Islanders aren't getting a ton of respect is because they're not that much fun to watch most nights. But um, but I think for their fans who have suffered through a lot of fun hockey, uh, yep. way too exciting, uh, mm-hmm. I think this is probably preferable. Yeah. I like that feeling prolific on certain nights, um, aren't we all? Uh, all right, let's take a quick break here from a sponsor, and then we're going to uh, dive a bit deeper into that and sort of look at some of the reasons for that success and, and how sustainable this is uh, after the break. Sponsoring today's episode of the Hockey Pediocast is SeatGeek. Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of websites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust out there. That's why SeatGeek's the way to go, because they do all the work for you by pulling millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek gets you closer to action for a great value. SeatGeek's designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever before. By searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with supreme confidence, knowing that what you're paying for is exactly what you're going to get. Make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. 
I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I actually used it the other day to get some tickets to go see the Arkells coming up in in February. They're uh, they're one of my favorite bands. They're a uh, a Canadian band, so you obviously got to represent and and uh, show some love and support. And I'm looking forward to going to see them. And when I got those tickets, it was the easiest uh, way possible to shop for tickets. I just opened the SeatGeek app on my phone couple clicks searched it up uh found uh the best value based on their color-coded map which uh you know green is good red is bad and bada bing bada boom i was in and out and it was uh it was that easy it honestly took a couple minutes so as my listener you can take advantage of that but also because you're listening to today's episode of the hockey pdo guest sea is going to throw you an extra 10 bucks off your first sea geek purchase to help sweeten the pot and encourage you to check them out so to claim that all you have to do is download sea geek app and enter the promo code pdo today that's promo code PDO for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And before we get back to Art Staple, um, I also wanted to quickly give some love to FanDuel, who's uh, helping make today's show possible as well. Uh, we've been doing these daily contests over at FanDuel all season, uh, roughly once a week, and they've been a blast. Sometimes we do them Tuesdays, sometimes Thursdays. Those are typically the busiest days in the schedule when there's 10, 11, 12 games on and a bunch of players to choose from. For those of you that haven't uh, played along yet, it's really easy. You just go to fanduel.com slash PDO. You sign up. Um, if you let them know we sent you, they'll even give you some spending cash to play along with once you make your first deposit. And then you just wait for me to tweet out the link to the contest when I set it up the morning of. And you get in there. Uh, we're typically doing 20-person pools, so it is on a first-come, first-serve basis. And you sign up. You get in there. You pick your team based on who's playing on that given night. And then you compete against the rest of the listeners. And we're typically only playing for a couple bucks here or there. So it's mostly for bragging rights and competition and sort of, uh, you know, giving you something else to cheer for beyond your team and your favorite players on that given night. So I hope to see all you there. And remember, just go to fanduelcom slash PDO and let them know we sent you and they're going to give you some extra cash to play with. So with that out of the way, uh, let's get back to Arthur Staple and the Hockeypedia cast. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, you mentioned the first 15 games there and, and I broke it down by month and obviously there's a bit of wiggle room there and it seems like kind of, you know, arbitrary cutoffs, obviously. But if you just look at October, they play, played 11 games there and they were 29th in shot attempts and 30th in shot shot share. And they were around a 40, 41, 42 percent team in that regard. And, you know, since then, it's been steadily climbing. They were a 51 percent team at around 16th or 17th in the league in November. And then if you look at December and January now, which is nearly 20 games, they're around a 52 percent. Uh, shot share team and and you know obviously you alluded to the fact about um, you know how Barry Trotz has typically had his teams uh, you know focus on quality over quantity I guess you could say and, and sort of um, they've generally outperformed their expected goals and it's a lot easier to do that when you do have the Backstroms and Ovechkins and Kuznetsov of the world where their talent can sometimes one shot from them is as good as two from someone else but I look at this team and I do think there's a lot of encouraging factors and I'm wondering, you know, in your perspective and your opinion covering this team, how much of that has to do with them just taking some time to warm up or really embrace Barry Trotz's system and learn all the details of it and how much of it is the fact that they're finally starting to use their best personnel and their best lineup by calling up a guy like Devon Taves and, and obviously uh, Josh Hosang, although he's down now, but, you know, the, the fact that two of those young players had on this team is pretty pronounced from an underlying perspective. And I just wonder how much of it is a combination of that and and, then how much of it is one more so than the other. Um, You know, I think, I think the call-ups have definitely helped. And and like you said, you know, Hosang being back down, uh, you know, kind of maybe reduces that a little bit, but, um, but I think, 
the system that Barry teaches is not revolutionary. I don't think anybody's system really is, but, but I think the discipline and the, and the accountability, those, those are big coaching team watchwords. Um, you know, I don't think there was a lot of that. And I think, uh, you saw some games with this team. If you watched closely enough early in the year when, when Matthew Barzell was not on the ice uh, with his regular line mates because he had failed in some aspect for Barry Trotz and Barry sat him down and said, We're, I'm going to keep doing this until you get it right. And I think uh, Barzell's hot streak from the last couple of weeks is, is evidence that he's embracing it uh, and also figuring out that he can incorporate those kind of plays away from the puck and, and the way that the, they want to be structured, uh, you know, in their zones into his incredibly creative game. Um, you know, I think, I think it took a little while five on five for them to, to figure out not just how to play, but, but how to play with one another. I think, uh, you know, even with all the familiarity they had, um, there was some mixing and matching Barzell and Anthony Beauvillier weren't really together. And Beauvillier started off the season very slowly. Andrews Lee and Brock Nelson have pretty much been together a while, but um, you know that it was kind of a decision about what which was going to be the primary line of those top two, and and uh, you know I think it's it's been quite clear that Brock Nelson's line is the number one line that they have, and Brock Nelson may not be a number one center in anyone's eyes, but he's been one of their you know one of their MVPs this first half, a guy who's uh, you know whose role was incredibly reduced last year and came back in a one year deal and tied for the team lead in goals and also, you know, playing a lot of hard minutes and taking a ton of big face-offs. And, um, you know, and we certainly can't discount what, uh, what the case is, is Matt Martin, Cal Clutterbuck line has been, um, which not, you know, very consistent from the start of the year that their possession numbers were quite good, uh, playing a lot of low event hockey on their shifts, but that's obviously for them, probably a, a win each time out, especially when they're matched up against the, an opposing top two line. So, um, you know, I think the the interesting thing to me too is that the, the Val Filippo Leo Komarov pair, which was getting caved in possession wise, but was somehow producing tons of goals early in the year. I mean, Filippo was sitting with 19 points. I think he's only had about two or three in the last 12 games. Right. Um, that I think that we all knew was not sustainable, but I think it also set a little bit of a tone and set a benchmark for some of these other guys who are more skilled to say, you know, these guys can do it and they, they're both brand new, then we can do it too. And I think, uh, I think that forward group is, is not uh, an imposing one in the least, but the way that they're all playing together. Uh, and, and then when you have Barzell having nights like that in Toronto, where he can take over a game, um, it's, uh, it, it's pretty formidable. I think, uh, I think the feeling in that room and, and even talking to some opposing players is that, that the Islanders have more skill than they're given credit for. And uh, there's, there's not going to be a top 20 scorer on this team. Uh, it's just not the way that they're structured, but, uh, but they do seem to spread the wealth a little bit. And, uh, and I think they've, they've figured out how they can incorporate that, uh, especially at five on five, uh, into what Barry wants them to do. Yeah. I did the, we got to get into the Josh, Josh Hosang thing. Cause it is, I'm sure you're probably tired of talking about it at this point, but <laughs> it's, it's such a, a tricky situation from the perspective of like, I get that, He's an imperfect player. I get that guys like him um, can be sometimes frustrating because he looks like he's passing up opportunities. And I definitely agree that he needs to shoot the puck more, if, if only just to uh, maintain that threat or the illusion of that threat against opposing defenses. I mean, I think he had 12 shot attempts and like eight shots on goal in 10 games, and that's clearly not going to be enough. But at the same time, you look at the effect that he had on the guys like Val Philpil and Leo Komarov and the fact that in those 10 games, the Highlanders were just dominating every time he was out on the ice and he finally gave them, you know, 
but really kind of I, I thought helped fill out their lineup and and eliminate some of the more glaring holes that they had and and so now that he's back down it might just be a, a temporary thing for a couple games and it might be a moot point ultimately but I just want to see this guy play for like 40 straight games in a solid lineup role and see what he can do and, and acknowledging that there's certain areas of the game that he can improve on. But I think, you know, the positives with him clearly outweigh the negatives. And I don't know, like, are you, are you, are you sick about talking about it at this point? Like, is there anything <laughs> new to add to this entire no, no, discussion? No, no. no I, I think it's a fascinating, it's much more compelling of a, of a situation than it was either the last two years, you know, two years ago, he came up, when they were, you know, after the coaching change, they were desperate for some sort of jolt offensively, and he gave it to them. But those are games, you know, that's a team that was 10 points out of a playoff spot, 12 points out of a playoff spot. Yeah, you know, you get the dead cat bounce. Any team gets it. And, um, you know, coaching change, teams taking them for granted. He certainly was in a, in a, uh, a low-pressure situation, you could say. Last year, he starts team with the team out of camp. There's nobody's. they're not playing any structure at all. They're just running and gunning which I'm sure he loves, but somehow, since he's the one with options, he gets sent down when the, when the team starts to try to focus on defense and they lose a couple guys and, and then the, the wheels fall off. So this year, I think, um, you know, he really had no sniff out of training camp and it seemed like, is he even going to be part of this organization going forward when he got sent down pretty quickly in camp? Uh, played, you know, to dominate, uh, you know, statistically the way that you would expect a guy like him to dominate at the AHL level. Right. And came back up, and, and, you know, I think those first six or seven games he was up, he was doing exactly what uh, he he would think Barry Trotz would want. Shifts were really short. Um, you know, he punted a lot on, on some possessions that uh, clearly weren't going to work out. Had a nice goal from a crazy angle in Arizona. That was a big goal in that game. And every goal, like I said, to this team is big when they're only scoring two or three a game. Um but I think, like you said, the, the shots, uh, the shot attempts are not great. And I think when his when his details start to slip, when he gets, you know, maybe gets a little bored with trying to stay disciplined all the time, um, you know, it's much more noticeable than it is for a Brock Nelson or even a Matthew Barzell. You know, it, it, that's the level that I think they want to, they want to be at, and they want they maybe feel he he's still capable of. I'm not so sure that that he is capable of that. That maybe he's going to be a you know a top nine nhl winger and a power play guy and produce you know 15 goals and, and maybe in a good year 40 or 50 assists but that's certainly worth having in your lineup and certainly in the way um the way that he possesses the puck and and if he can be a bit a bit harder on the puck um a bit more of a puck hound you know especially on the power play because this power play is really bereft uh, especially the set of the unit that matthew bars not on it there's no cohesion and when he was up he, he he did make it work he was playing second unit a little bit and they produced a goal moved up to the first unit when Jordan Everly was out and uh, and they produced a couple of goals so I think I think he makes things run smoother but from the team perspective they want more they want more consistency they want more more they want more Josh Hosang than, than he's been given and I'm sure he's tired of hearing that because it's cumulative for him over three years. But now this is this is a whole different set of circumstances. And, and Lou talks often about everybody. You know, I don't care what happened before I was here, but when I'm now that I'm here, you do what I say. I think to that end, he's been good. And uh, and I think the, from the playing wise, doing what Barry Trotz wanted, he was good for a little while. But um, it's still not a finished product, and and that's hard for a lot of fans to hear because they see the the skill and they see the 
they see the ability to, to make everybody around them better. And certainly, you know, I've, I've tweeted it out plenty that the, the record of, you know, I think it's 32, 16 and four with him in the lineup. And then maybe a couple of games over 500 without him the last two plus years. And, uh, those things don't necessarily correlate directly, but it's got, he's got to have some impact if that's, if it's that big a difference. And I, I have to feel that he's going to be back sooner rather than later, whether it's an injury, whether they decide to move on from Everly before the trade deadline. Um, you know, I, I don't think, uh, I don't think Barry Trotz or Lou Amaro or any sort of, Modern thinking guys, where they're they're gonna they're gonna coddle anyone. I think it's it's gonna be tough love for Josh for as long as he's here. And um, if he's upset about being sent down, I think they want to see him channel it into working towards getting back. And and uh, the way he played first time he went down, I, I he certainly did that. So you know, I'm hopeful. I'm sure they're hopeful that he does it again. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear that um, you know he makes the guys around him better, and and the performance is better when he's on the ice for a lot of these guys than than when he's not. And I get that you know there's sometimes you're leaving stuff on the table, and uh, it can be frustrating just because he is so talented. But it is also tantalizing for us to discuss, obviously, because it's just like it's the ultimate risk worst reward debate, right? Whereas this Islanders team has such a low margin for error just because they are playing so many close, low scoring games, and um, that re- removes sort of any wiggle room for them but at the same time you look at the roster and it is pretty bereft of skill and and dynamic playmaking which he can bring to the table and I feel like he does still provide the most upside for them so I understand balancing those two things and expecting a hockey team any hockey team not even a Lula Merrill or a Barry Trotz team but any real NHL team to uh, not take the conservative route is uh, you know a bit of a fool's errand but I I do really just want to see this guy up full time and see what he can do with it because I do think the the potential still is there even though it has been a couple years now. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely uh, it's been a ride with him for sure, and uh, you know I think uh, the biggest change for him is is not speaking his mind either. You know I think he's he's keenly aware, and and there's there's people uh, watching him at all times uh, in the locker room, and and that's you know um, that's a certain that's a, a Lamarillo hallmark, and and I think they want to get get it to the point with this team where when he comes in, he's going to listen to the guys in the room who say. Just focus on hockey. Just worry about this. Don't worry about anything else, and and it'll have an effect. And I, I don't necessarily think the this room is it's quite there yet. It's it's definitely um, got got a few more mature voices in it than it than it did in years past. Um, but I think you know for him, it's uh, it, it's it may always be a struggle. It just it just may be that way. It just may be in, in his DNA to to not feel content or or comfortable in any situation and uh it's certainly great benefit to us in the media i've had uh, plenty of, of eye-opening and, and interesting conversations with him over the last couple of years um but it's not always in the best interest of, of josh hosang the player so yeah. um you know, i think that's a thing that's a thing that he may have to reconcile as well if he's going to stay in this organization god forbid a player show personality and has, has say something fun to say <laughs> beyond uh, the puck getting deep yeah, um, we haven't really talked about Matt Barzal yet. I mean, we kind of alluded to him a little bit, and it's surprising that we're 30 minutes in and we still haven't really talked about the team's most, uh, you know, definitely most electrifying and talented, but also I think, I mean, the goalies are, are an entirely different animal, but I think their most important player just in terms of when he's on his game and when he's playing and, and the pucks are going into the net the way they have for him the past couple of weeks, he really elevates their ceiling and makes everyone better around him. And, you know, start of the year, um, he got off to a slow start. I think a lot of it was just horrendous shooting luck, and we've already seen, you know, he had that hat trick and he had a couple two goal games and most of his numbers now are back in line with what he was doing last year and what we'd sort of expect from him um 
how much of it is just that and sort of it naturally taking some time for, for some of this stuff to get in line and get revert back to normal course and how much of it was there is a bit of an adjustment. I mean, he is playing with similar players he was last year, but obviously no John Tavares there all of a sudden now. If you're a team game planning against the Islanders, you're pretty clearly, you know, directing all of your resources and all of your attention towards trying to slow Barzal down because you know that you can probably handle the other guys offensively and sort of that entire new new spotlight and, and attention being placed on him, I imagine that had a bit of an effect in terms of uh, sort of an adjustment period or, or, or getting used to it because it is an entirely different animal when you're your team's number one option as opposed to a 1A, 1B situation like he was last year. Yeah, I, mean, I think the adjustment period for him was, was kind of the way that, that Barry laid it out in quite plain terms to us, so I'm sure it was pretty plain to, to Barzal as well, was... Uh, when you have the puck, do what you do. When you don't have the puck, do what I tell you to do. <laughs> and I think that uh, it's a great phrase, and I'm, it, uh, I'm sure it's easy to repeat and easy to resonate, but, um, but harder to put into practice. That you know, it, I think the realization that last year was was a bit of a you know uh, kind of a Sega '94 mirage for Barzal. He's obviously the skill is certainly never going to go away, but. But it's just not. It just wasn't an NHL style of hockey that the Islanders played, and, and uh, hard that it is to accept that because he walked away with a called almost unanimous Calder Trophy, um, lots of accolades, a couple of five point games, um, and then to have someone come in and say, "Yeah, that's great, but that's not how we're going to win." <laughs> uh, that, that's certainly going to be an adjustment period for a young, talented guy like him and a confident guy like him. So I think um, you know, seeing his game develop where where Trotz is comfortable putting him out there uh, in the the tail end of the third period with a lead or a tie game um, you know I think is uh, it's been a big evolution for him and really you know the numbers numbers could be exactly what they were last year even better if the power play were at all decent and I think he holds some responsibility for that because he's the guy now who's trying to control the play off the off the his off wing wall and, and really they haven't figured out how to you know, when you don't have 91 on the opposite wall who's, who's digging for pucks or shooting pucks to create rebounds, um, they're just, this, this, that's really where they miss Tavares the most and where he certainly misses them because he took you know, tons of assists or, or you know, easy goals because of things Tavares did on their power play last year and in the last couple of years, even without bars all there. Um, so I think once they get that figured out, if they can get that figured out, and that's it's been a difficult run for them because trying to run the power play through the sidewall not Nick Backstrom and I think not having the threat of a shot at all through the first 20-25 games uh, really hurt them and he started to shoot a bit more and I and it's still just it's a bit stagnant you know he's got he's there Eberle's below the goal line Lee is in front of the net Letty's at the point and they're not really using each other as, as well as they should and I think uh, you know Barry even talking today about Barzal just you know if you're going to hang on to the puck you got to have a plan of what to do with it as opposed to just uh, you know uh, just hanging on to it for the sake of hanging on to it and, and seeing what's going to work so I think in that aspect the five on five play much like the rest of the team has been exceptional and I think the power play is still an area where 
he can improve and the power play as a whole can improve. Yeah, I mean, they were sixth in uh, in power play efficiency last year, 25th this year. And, and when I was kind of sort of looking a bit deeper in the numbers and trying to figure out where they're missing, because obviously when you subtract a player of John Tavares' caliber from the lineup, you're going to feel the effect somewhere eventually. And it does feel like, you know, guys like Brock Nelson, as you as you mentioned earlier, have stepped up and some of that five-on-five scoring has been there. But it really, on the power play, is the big effect where there's been a, a bit of a drop-off. And I'm sure a guy like Anders Lee, who um, had such great chemistry with, with Tavares playing in the past, you know, he's having a fine season. He's looks like he's going to score 30 goals again but um he's getting his shots he's getting it from the same places but i imagine just the fact there's you know when you're playing with brock nelson versus john Tavares, and there's a bit more attention being played your way maybe uh you have a split second shorter amount of time or 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 space to operate and that's going to affect your conversion percentage and all of a sudden you go down from being a 40 goal scorer to 30 and i wonder you know, when you're looking at the big picture and, and where Tavares' uh, loss is felt most, it feels like Anders Lee and the power play are the, are the two areas where they miss it the most. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, and maybe it's not going to, like we said, it's not going to be sustained, but I, but I think at five on five, Lee is, uh, has proven to be a much better, much more complete player than, uh, than anyone gave him credit for because people thought he was a product really of playing with John Tavares for the bulk of the last two seasons. But, uh, but I think that's part of the reason why he's, he's the captain now. I think he's a guy who's who's been who's been counted out of a lot of different levels of his of his hockey career, starting from being a Mr. you know Mr. Football in the state of Minnesota when he was in high school, and everyone thought he'd become a quarterback. But uh, you know, I think it, seven power play goals halfway through the year isn't a bad number considering how many that they put in total. Um, but yeah, I think when they're set up in the zone, the you know the the defense the, the penalty kill is is focused on. Bar, keeping Barzell to the outside and then collapsing in to try to keep Lee from from doing what he does in front of the net, which is usually very effective. And I think that's where, if they had a, a, another guy, it was Josh Bailey at the beginning of the year. He doesn't really he isn't really a shooter. You know, they've got Nick Letty at the point, who's more of a facilitator. It's just uh, they they need that other shooter. Brock Nelson is a shooter, but it, he's got a long release, and I think that's a tough thing to do on a on a power play. Um, you know, Devon Taves has come up and and been running the point on the power play, on the second power play unit and kind of wonder if uh, if the trust continues to build with him whether he's an option to replace Letty at the top of that power play one because he's much more of a shooter and much more of a, a, a deft skater in the offensive zone than Letty is he's, he's more attacking and threatening than Letty can be mm-hmm. um, and, and it's just really you know if there was a there was a uh, something that they would be looking for uh, at the trade deadline if they're still in the same situation they are now. I think it would be that kind of forward who can get off a shot, um, you know, can be kind of a threat uh, on the other end of the one-three-one from opposite from where Barzal is, and and uh, you know they've certainly got the net front taken care of. I mean, you look at, you know, if there was a guy like Brandon Peary out there um, who doesn't seem to be able ever be, be able to, to hold down a job as right. much as he put bucks in the net when he's up. Um, you know, that might be a guy who that sort of prototype of a guy who's, who's cheap and efficient and, and can slot into games and, and be that guy because they really don't have it. And, and, you know, even see it, Cal Clutter, everyone always asks, why is Cal Clutterbuck, uh, kind of in a diamond spot on the second power play unit? It's just a guy who shoots and, uh, he doesn't always do it very efficiently considering he's got two goals. Um, but I think that's what, that's what they're lacking. And that's what Trotz really needs to, to kind of open up things for Barzal and and for Lee because Lee is you know kind of the, the vacuum cleaner up in up in front of the net. 
Well, some big big decisions ahead because I think at the start of the year you would have probably thought that this team around this time of the year would be highlighted as uh, as more of a seller and would have some interesting veteran pieces that it could potentially deal off for future assets. And I'm not sure if they're necessarily a buyer now, but they're certainly for as long as they're hanging in this playoff race, going to at least stand pat. And it feels like there are more sellers than buyers to begin with, anyway. So it might not be the best time to be trying to sell off pieces. But you know, with Leonard and Eberly and Brock Nelson and Anders Lee, all UFAs this summer, and then the obvious see the clock starting on Matt Barzal and, and uh, Pulak as, as RFAs, um, you know, there's a lot of future financial and contractual decisions ahead for this team. And I do wonder how, I mean, I'm sure the next, whatever, six weeks or so until the trade deadline will determine how they decide to act, but there are a lot of moving pieces and still unanswerable decisions. And um, I think that's, what's going to make it fascinating, you know, on a night to night basis, there are steps in the right direction but for the most part as you mentioned this team's probably less exciting to watch than they were last year uh but the bigger picture decisions and question marks that lay, lay ahead are what's really interesting to with me for this team and i do wonder you know beyond just saying oh uh they could use a skill infusion and they could use another top four defenseman or a second line center or whatever like most teams can um i wonder how they're going to approach it and if they're going to target anything in specific or if they're going to take a bigger picture view and try to potentially still sell off those parts even though they're uh they're competitive and in this playoff hunt yeah i I can't see them being in the rental market just because of where that you know where they still see themselves in the development i don't think i don't think anyone from lamarillo and trot on down thought that they'd have as successful a first half as they've had uh even if they felt like they the, the guys they have would get what they were what they were selling um so I don't really see them mortgaging any of their assets because when you look at what the assets they've got, there aren't a ton. You know, they, they don't have uh, a big pool of, of guys in, in Bridgeport, maybe on D they do. Maybe if you look at, uh, you know, the Mitchell Van Samples and the Sebastian Ajos that they have down there, maybe those are guys that you can consider moving for something a little bit more NHL ready. But uh, I don't really know how they're, those guys are perceived around the league as, as being uh, really, you know, B plus or above prospects. Um, you know, they're, they're high level prospects. The world junior kids like Oliver Wallstrom and Noah Dobson are, are off limits and, and probably should be um, mm-hmm. because they don't have a ton of those guys. Um, so I think, you know, I, it, whether it's something for the future that comes along with a trade deadline, which seems very rare these days, um, you know, I think that the decision really is about Everly at this point. Uh, Brock Nelson maybe a little bit less so because. Uh, it's just so hard to find a top two or top three center. And, um, you know, if he's a guy that can consistently put in 25 or 30 goals, uh, he's never going to be a, a high, high-end guy. But play the way thoughts feels he's playing now, which is they're very happy with. Um, he's not going to break the bank for them. I, I can't see them not bringing him back. It, it doesn't necessarily preclude them from trying to swing a trade or, or, or entice a Matt Dufresne uh, to come over in free agency, I suppose, because I certainly will still have tons of room. But, uh, but I imagine that the, the, where, the place where they need a little bit better depth is on the wing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I think Lee getting the, getting the C, that sort of says to me he's going to be here for a little while. I know they're, they're kind of haggling over term, um, but I still feel like that, that negotiation is going to end with him signing a decently long-term deal they, they love what he brings uh, stuff about, you know that has to do with being captain and right. even at age 29 I think he's still going to be able to give you two or three more years he's kind of uh, he's kind of uh, hockey young I guess he really didn't get started uh, his pro career until late so um, you know and Leonard I think is another interesting question Mark because 
certainly with the Sergei Bobrovsky news, he was already a guy that was being linked to the Islanders, and Lamarillo is never shy about saying how much uh, a franchise goaltender means to him. But if you can get Robin Leonard for, for four more years at, at four million, let's say, or maybe even five million, if uh, if if the asking price is higher, that, that really leaves them a lot of room. That's not that's not the eight or nine million that Bobrovsky is going to command, and not the, the seven years or whatever it's going to be that he's going to be demanding. So, um, you know, I think the Leonard decision is going to be interesting. Whether whether they feel like he can sustain this, he's certainly young enough to be able to do it. Um, whether you have concerns about the off-ice stuff backing up on him, uh, it, it's all pretty compelling, and, and uh, I'd be interested to see how they view that, not just past, you know certainly past the deadline, but how they how they feel about that going into going into the summer. But like I said, I think Jordan Everly is the guy who's of the of the pending free agents is the guy you could be moved, and I think um, if they do decide to move him for whatever return they could get before the deadline. That's a sign that they feel that Josh Hosang might be able to help them because that's really the spot where he slots in best is is playing with Nelson and Lee, you know, playing on the top, on the top power play unit, or maybe they shift some things around and he, he anchors the second unit. But um, so I think that's one to watch too. But uh, but I think even beyond that, I don't think Jordan ever really disappointing contract year for him. Right. Um, I don't think I don't think he really fits with what uh, with what Trotz is trying to is trying to accomplish. Well yeah, I mean he's had a bit of a down season obviously and, and it's rough timing for him because he was looking to get paid this summer, but I still think that uh you know he's a proven goal scorer and I imagine come the trade line, um, if the Islanders do decide to go that down that path, there's gonna be a bunch of teams that are interested in acquiring his services and at the very worst, I imagine they're going to get more for him than they got than Ryan Strom. So I think it's a, a net positive, regardless. <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, it's it's not 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 a bad place to be if you're the Islanders. But I agree. I mean, you mentioned Leonard there, and I talked about this on a recent show. But beyond just the uh, you know the mental health advocacy and the and the stuff that you know how brave he was coming forward and all that, it's. You know, this summer it was pretty clear. I mean, the Islanders gave him a one-year, one point five million sort of prove a deal, and that sort of illustrates to me that people around the league had soured on him and there wasn't much of a market or much of an appetite for him. So the fact that he's playing himself into what'll probably be a nice little contract this summer, whether it's from the Islanders or someone else, um, is a testament to how good he's been this year and also um, a really good feel-good story because I feel like if things didn't go the way that, he, that they are right now this year, he very well could have been playing overseas in Europe or something like that as soon as next year. So it's uh, it's been a pretty good season for him and hopefully he'll be able to cash in on it. Yeah, and I think maybe there's an aspect too of you know the the Islanders are the ones to take a chance on him. Um, you know, he he told his story. Um, he's, he's living it every day, and and it's a whole different reality for him and his family. Um, but the Islanders were the ones that, that took a chance and embraced him, and and maybe there's some some desire to to keep that continuity in, in this new phase of his life, um, and maybe that's that facilitates a, a deal as well. Um, something that's you know you don't want to. He is crass to discuss, you know, business when it comes to someone's personal, mental, and physical health. But, but uh, you know, it could be a, a deal that's acceptable to both sides um, because he wants to continue on here and be in a place where he feels welcomed and comfortable. And, and that's, you know, you, you can't put a price tag on that with, with what he's gone through. Yeah. Well, um, all right. I think that's, uh, that's about it. I mean, there's a lot to look forward to with this team. Obviously, uh, a lot of questions left to be answered in these six weeks in terms of how they're going to approach the trade deadline. I, I know you love this stat, so I wanted to, uh, 
to reference it before we get out of here, but the Islanders are seventh in uh, the amount of time they've spent leading so far this year. And I'm not sure. I still don't know, you know how much to really buy in, into that stat or how much stock to put into it because if you just get out to an early lead off and uh, that doesn't necessarily mean you're the better team, it could just be a very opportunistic thing. But at the same time, the, the six teams ahead of them are Tampa Bay, Washington, San Jose, Pittsburgh, Nashville and Toronto. So it's a, it's pretty good, uh, you know, a pretty good neighborhood for them to be in a pretty good, uh, group to be keeping with. And that's one of many reasons why I'm optimistic about this team. We mentioned their, uh, their recent uptick in performance at 515. And, uh, now that they're using different personnel and really embracing Trotz's system, there's reason to believe that this is more sustainable than not. So I think along with that and with, uh, John Tavares's upcoming return at the end of February, there's, uh, there's quite a lot, a lot to look forward to with this Islanders team. I'm sure it's going to be a pretty exciting time to be covering them for, for you. Yeah. You know, I, I think, uh, that, that, Maybe the thing that Islander fans were hoping for the most. I mean, I, I think that first game in February is going to be a bit of a gong show, regardless of where the teams are. But, but just the idea that the second time that Tavares and Elise come in is the last week of the season. It's, I believe it's the last Islanders home game of the year. Could have a lot of meaning for the Islanders, and, and I think that uh, maybe that's the best revenge. It's uh, that they can have. You know, I don't know if the fans are going to be able to see clearly through all the, the vitriol they're going to be aiming at the, at, at their the old captain, for blood. but uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's just the way they operate and that's mm-hmm. fine, you know, it, it was a difficult summer for them, but uh, but I think the idea that that uh, that these games would mean something beyond getting a chance to yell at John Tavares uh, uh, was a bit out of the realm of possibility this past summer, and I think the fact that, that they will almost certainly mean something is... Uh, is, is, has got to give some Islander fans a little bit of pause and a little bit of uh, confidence that, that the world did not end on July 1, 2018. <laughs> no, it certainly didn't. And it's been a uh, very uh, encouraging season. A lot of things to be uh, cautiously optimistic about. Um, all right, plug some stuff. What uh, what are you working on these days? Where can people check out your work? Where they, where can they follow you online? Give, uh, give the people all the details. Uh, well, I'm at State Athletic on Twitter, uh, theathletic.com all your Islander coverage needs, not just myself, but uh, lots of other uh, leading luminaries of the hockey world that have appeared on your show uh, work for us and, and do great work. And uh, it's been almost a, a full year now of being there. And uh, I'm happier than I've ever been in my, uh, in my writing career. And I think a lot of the people who follow along are pretty happy too, with what we're putting out. So um, I hope everybody comes by. There'll be lots of uh, discount deals for, for wary uh, subscribers and uh, yeah it's going to be a fun time these last few months covering the Islanders and I hope everybody can uh, can check it out well great job Bart and uh, as always it was a blast having you on the show and I'm glad we got to do it under more uh, more positive circumstances and I'll definitely be uh, <laughs> I'll be watching I'm very interested in the Islanders are among one of my uh, handful of teams that I really want to watch more closely over these next couple of weeks to try and really get a better grasp of, uh, of how I want to feel about them. But uh, definitely signs that they're moving in the right direction. And everyone check out your work. And hopefully, um, as we approach that trade deadline and Tavares' return and, and all that good stuff, uh, we'll be able to get you back on the show to, uh, to reevaluate where we stand at that point. Awesome. Always available for you, my friend. Thanks a lot, Dimitri. Have, have a good one, Art. Before we get out of here, I just wanted to thank everyone for listening. And uh, if I could ask anything of you, it would be to take a minute out of your day to go over to iTunes and uh, rate and review the show. Um, Hopefully you view it as worthy of a a five-star rating and you can leave a a fun, friendly comment. I know a lot of you have got there and and made inside jokes and... um, 
I greatly appreciate all of them. But yeah, uh, it counts. I've heard it goes a long way towards keeping the Hockeypedia cast up near the top of the uh, sports and recreation leaderboard on their uh, podcast charts. And yeah, I really appreciate it. It's takes only a minute of your time and it'll go a long way towards supporting the show and helping us out and uh, also a reminder that the show is now available on spotify as well so whether it's uh you know google play or itunes or or uh wherever stitcher wherever you've been listening to the show spotify also now added to the list so just another place for you to check it out if that's your cup of tea um with that said i think we're done here so we're gonna get out of here we're gonna sign off we're gonna listen to the outro music and we will be back uh in a couple days Thank you.